This podcast is brought to you by AJ Bell and Shares Magazine. Shares Magazine is published by AJ Bell Media, part of AJ Bell. Welcome back to Money and Markets Podcast, which this week sees Tom Selby join me in the virtual studio. So good day to you, Tom. Hello, Dan. All right. So in this episode, we'll be looking at big events in the tech space where companies are being attacked by politicians and regulators left, right and centre. Tom is also here to look at a listener's situation where they're not sure if it's worth bothering with a workplace pension. That's right, Dan. We've also got a fantastic interview with Tineke Fricky from Waverton Investment Management, who talks to Dan about the big opportunities at AstraZeneca and Ocado. But first up, we're going to look at the markets over the past week and the big stories that have been catching Dan's eye. So, Dan, what has been going on? Well, at the time of recording, we are still mm. waiting for... A Brexit deal, the trade yes. talks. So, so 20, we should confirm it's 20, 20 past nine in the morning uh, on the 10th of December. Yeah, so we we're told now it's going to be an, you know, up to another four days to get something. Mm. So Sterling, uh, it's taken a bit of wobble on this latest news. Um, the FTSE 250 has come off a bit as well. The market is growing impatient about mm. uh, what's going on. So we just, we, I think you know, investors and companies just want to know even if the news is bad news let's yeah. you know and there's bad consequences they just want to know the lay of the land so i think at the moment that's we'll still have to wait so i think come next week's podcast we'll be in, in a stronger position to talk about the implications of whatever mm. has been decided um u.s stock markets have hit fresh record highs yes um, yes i saw donald trump's twitter indeed <laughs> yes any excuse and he's there talking about <laughs> the stock market so um we had some disappointing job news from the us the other day and so that has been deemed to be increased the chance of a generous stimulus package so um so investors are getting excited that there might be more stimulus here and so hence equities are going up mm. but tech companies in the u.s have really been dominating the headlines at the moment so the u.s federal regulators and more than 45 state prosecutors have sued facebook so they're accusing the social media company of taking illegal actions to buy up rivals and stifle competition so the officials are asking the court to consider breaking up the company so you have to think that we, i think we've heard these sort of things before um saying it's just got too big and and lots of big mm. tech companies have been accused of this so so facebook also owns instagram and whatsapp um so it's you know incredibly popular social media networks so facebook has just essentially come back and said well the deals that are being scrutinized now were actually approved by regulators years ago um but really you know this this tech space you know the the, the companies have become very successful and therefore they're seen as um sort of targets so we, we've already seen in the summer where the bosses of google amazon facebook and apple were forced to testify before congress um as part of a bigger investigation on their influence on the market so last october we saw department of justice sue google accusing the search giant of violating u.s competition laws to maintain a monopoly on internet searches and online advertising. So definitely lots going on. And it's not just in the US, actually, because we've got news in the UK as well, where uh, the Treasury is launched a review into 
uh, tax. Uh, and, they're, and they're looking at um, the implications of various sort of overseas companies that are that do lots of business in the UK here. So th- there's mm. the implication that if they um, do a review of the VAT, we could see Uber fares and the cost of staying in an Airbnb accommodation increase by at least 20%. Wow. So, yeah, I mean, the Treasury is sort of calling for evidence because um, they're a bit concerned that growth in these sort of platform apps could cost as much as £20 billion in lost tax revenue. Mm. Um, so if you use, say, like a taxi firm like Addison Lee or, or Pimlico Plumbers, the 20% VAT is charged to customers, but operators who, who are doing work for Uber and Airbnb and the likes don't actually pay anything because the argument is that the individual providers fall below the VAT threshold of £85,000 of turnover. Mm. So the Treasury fears that um, an increasing share of these services will switch to digital platforms because the tax benefit allows them to charge lower prices. So so really, it's calling for evidence part of this review and about tax. And we've talked before about how um, capital gains tax is also part of this review as well. So, yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, Tom, you, you, you obviously look at the tax space quite in quite detail. I mean, it, it, there's a lot going on, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. I think um, uh, the early part of of next year is going to be very, very interesting. Clearly, um, the the government government spending has has been somewhere in the region of three hundred fifty to four hundred billion higher than they expected um, in twenty 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 one as a result of the various support packages that were intro- introduced to get the to get businesses and employees through coronavirus. And there's a there's an increasing sense that at least some of that bill is going to need to be paid off sooner rather than later i think we're expecting a a budget a much delayed budget of course because we should have been having a budget in november but that was pushed back because the government was rightly busy um, dealing with the immediate priority of uh, the health crisis caused by the pandemic but clearly government borrowing has gone up significantly and i think there's various different ways that taxes could rise from um, from next year onwards, and I think the you, you know you don't want to get too much into speculation of which taxes are going to go up and where. But clearly, the, the CGT review is one area where it appears that they've they've kind of paved the way potentially to to align CGT rates with income tax rates, which could raise some revenue for the Treasury. Um, inevitably, expect to hear some rumours about pension tax relief being on the block. But I think uh, for for anyone listening to this podcast or investors, it's best to. To wait until um, until we get that that budget, which I think should be in around February March, and then we should at least get some indicators of the the direction of travel from the Treasury. Okay, so other sort of stuff that's been catching my eye on the markets has been um, the stock market debut of a company called DoorDash. Uh, so this is the world's largest meal delivery company. So um, the shares traded nearly eighty four percent higher on its first day of dealing. So it's now valued at just over $71 billion. Now, back in June, it raised some money privately, um, and that valued the business at $16 billion. And mm. then as it issued shares for, for to join the stock market, that valued the company at $38 billion. So you can see this massive increase here. Um, I must confess, it's not a name that I know too much about. but No, think- me neither. Yeah, so I think it's um, clearly the market is excited. So I, I'm going to go and have a, a closer look to see what it does. Um, and just finally on the market stuff, on the UK market, we've had 
um, the security company G4S. Previously, uh, yeah, right. some of you, some of you might know it as Group Four Securicore, as it used to be known. So it, it's it's there's been a couple of parties have been trying to buy it over the last few months, and it's the board finally um, sort of recommended that shareholders accept um, a three point eight billion pound taker from Allied Universal. So here the you're going to get um, two pound forty five per share, and the, essentially the board saying it's 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 too good an offer to turn down. So mm-hmm. the, the other company that tr- was trying to buy it was uh, Canada's Garda World. So um, over the summer, it sort of, sort of came out and said, look, we, we, we're interested in the company. And at the time, G4S was trading about what, just under £1.50. So Garda World made an offer for £1.90. Then again at £2.35 when, it, when the original first one was rejected. But it was putting out loads of really negative statements on the company. So I, I wasn't surprised that the, that, that the board of G4S didn't really want to sort of get into bed with this business. So, um, you know, they call it, they were saying that G4S was a deeply troubled company um, and that, that senior management had consistently failed G4S stakeholders over the last decade. The, the business had a long history of over promising and under delivering and, the, oh, and that, you never you never want to hear that yeah no. and so over the last seven years that the senior management has destroyed nearly a billion pounds of shareholder value even after you sort of adjust for for dividends so g4s is it's quite you know it is a well-known business and, and it got into a lot of trouble um that didn't provide enough security for the, the 2012 london Olympic games it was fined 44 million pounds by the serious fraud office and had to repay 108 million pounds to the uk government after it overcharged on contracts to tag offenders so this it's got a bit of a tarnished history but i think mm. um you know allied universal is obviously seeing there's benefit in buying it now um but really this is a company that's been in sort of recovery sort of ch- t- turnaround mode for so long it's unbelievable mm. so it probably you know if, if you're a shareholder in this business and you've been with it for say sort of five or more years you've, you must be a very patient person so um i imagine that yeah so this this name will disappear and and that's such a bit of a trend of you know there's quite a lot of takeover activity and i think lots of experts think that once we know what's happening brexit one way or the other uh with these trade deals it could actually see even more takeover stuff happening so okay so potentially an exciting 2021 on that front then yeah so so because so it, obviously tom's here which means it's time for our regular retirement corner segment of the podcast so this week we've been contacted by someone called Stephen, who says they've been tempted to opt out of their workplace pension scheme so they're 25 and earn 10 pounds an hour and so Stephen was making the point that only a tiny proportion of this income is actually going towards retirement and he said he spoke to someone who thought um this might generate an income of only a few pounds a week when he's older so he's wondering should he bother saving because he actually thinks he could spend that money today and enjoy it so tom this is an interesting yeah. one isn't it so what, what do you reckon to this situation yeah yeah and a, and a, a classic dilemma and i think quite a timely one as well given lots of um lots of people who are being automatically enrolled into pension schemes at the moment i think will will potentially be struggling as a result of seeing their their incomes cut or or, or cut as a result of um, as a result of coronavirus so they might have had their hours reduced or they may have been may have been furloughed and so the the idea of paying into a pension scheme becomes more difficult simply because they're trying to make ends meet so i can absolutely understand the challenges that people have but it's my job to to, to stand in the corner of pensions i guess and just and just explain some of the the benefits and, and and how it works and exactly what people like Stephen would be giving up if they opted out of their workplace pension scheme 
specifically here. So I'll I'll kick off with just a quick explainer of how automatic enrollment works. So all employers are required by law to auto-enroll eligible employees into a workplace pension scheme. That's part of reforms that were rolled out between uh, October 2012 and 2018. Um, minimum contrib- I'll, I'll come back to what eligible employers employees are because that's not everybody. Um, minimum contributions are set at 8% of what's known as band earnings. So that just means that the 8% contributions that go into your pension scheme aren't based on your entire earnings, but on earnings between £6,240 at the bottom end and £50,000 at the top end. So that's for 2020-21. It gets reviewed every year. Um, So if, for example, someone had a salary of £30,000, then they would see 8% of £23,760 taken out each year as their pension contribution. So that's £30,000 minus £6,240. So that's the lower part of the um, band earnings that are used to calculate auto-enrollment. In terms of how that 8% of contributions is split, so 4% will come from you as the employee. You'll then get 3% from your employer and 1% will come from basic rate pensions tax relief. Now, in terms of eligible employees, so who's in and who's out of um, auto-enrollment, so employees are required to auto-enroll anyone who's employed by them aged between 22 and state pension age, so that's 66 at the moment, um, who earns a salary of £10,000 or more. Um, although if you if you don't fall into that category, you can request to join the pension scheme uh, and your money, if you if if you save by auto enrollment, your money will automatically be invested in a default fund. So that won't be a fund that you've picked. It won't be based on your own individual circumstances, but that will be a fund that's meant to provide generally a decent uh, investment option for the entire scheme membership rather than being tailored to you as an individual um, and the charges on those funds are capped at 0.75%. So you can at least guarantee that you're getting decent value for money. Although if you want to, then you can pick and choose your own investments. You just have to go to your pension scheme and tell them. So those are the basics of how auto-enrollment works. Turning to Stephen's question specifically, um, I do understand that saving in a pension is a big commitment. Your money's locked away until age 55 under the current rules. That's going to increase to age 57 by 2028. Um, So I think it makes sense for people to ask questions about the value for money that they're getting. Um, The key upfront benefit when you're you're talking about a workplace pension is the matched employer contribution. So um, the employer pay, the first 3% you pay in, your employer pays 3% in as well. Um, And I always, I always like to Think of that, and when I'm when I'm explaining to people the value of workplace pensions, I I, I say think of that as a effectively a hundred percent return on the first three percent that you pay into your workplace scheme. Now, if any investment was offering you a guaranteed hundred percent return on the first on 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 the money that you were putting in, you would bite someone's hand off, or you would think it was something nefarious, frankly. But this isn't. This is uh, this is something that's included as part of your workplace contract, and so. If you opt out, that free money will effectively be lost to you. Um, To put it another way, uh, employers will decide on how much you get paid based on your total remuneration. So they'll think about um, uh, the pension costs, which they have to pay alongside your um, take-home pay as well. So if you choose to opt out of the pension scheme, which is, of course, your choice, then you're effectively taking a voluntary pay cut. So that's something that most people wouldn't want to do. And I think that's 
one way to to think about the decision that you're making. Um, on top of that, the the final upfront bonus is of course basic rate pensions tax relief on your personal contribution. So when you combine that with the employer contribution, that means that the 4% that you pay in gets matched in total upfront by a combination of your employer and through the government's uh, pension tax relief. Um, now, money being locked away clearly uh, can, is, is a negative in terms of liquidity, so you can't access that money quickly. Equally, it uh, can be seen as quite a good thing for some people. So uh, if, you, if, for example, um, you find it difficult to save and budget, the fact that your pension money is going to be locked away means that you can't get at it. It also means that, of course, it has the uh, ability to grow tax-free um, over time within the pension wrapper and build up from something small to something potentially quite large when you reach the point of retirement. And I'll come to some numbers on that in a second. Um, the final thing that I'd, uh, I'd mention is the the tax treatment when you, when you come to withdraw the money. So you can get 25% of your money tax-free from age 55, as I say, rising, rising from age to age 57 in 2028 with the rest taxed in the same way as income. And you've got total flexibility as well over how you withdraw that money. So Stephen said in his question, um, he mentioned the fact that it would only generate a very small income in retirement, but you don't necessarily have to use your money to provide a steady stream of income. So usually it used to be the case that the vast majority of people bought an annuity, um, use it with their pension pot. Now, clearly, when you build up a retirement pot, you should have your retirement income in mind. But if you want to, then you can take take you can take that money as and when you choose. Indeed, if you want to, you can take the whole lot out as one lump sum. Of course, you need to remember that if you do that, then only 25% will be tax-free. The rest will be taxed in the same way as income. So it may push you into a higher tax bracket. Um just a, a quick example, I think, will be useful for for Stephen. So, I, I, so if you look look at someone who's earning ten pounds an hour, if they work um, for for thirty five hours a week, that'll that'll end up with them having a salary of around eighteen thousand pounds a year. So, if we take an example of someone with a salary of eighteen eighteen thousand pounds a year, who pays in the minimum auto enrolment contributions for thirty years. Um, mod- relatively moderate level of investment growth. So let's say real investment growth of around 3% a year. Then after 30 years, they end up with a fund worth about £46,000. Whereas after, and after 40 years, that fund would be worth £73,000. So I think by anyone's books, that's a decent amount of money. And that money is clearly benefited from the up for both the matched employer contribution from pension tax relief upfront and by compound growth as well. So I think anybody who's able to build up a savings pot worth £73,000 over 40 years for even from small contributions, that feels like a decent amount of money that you could do, you could really do something, um, something useful with. Um, one final point that I would make, though, is that there are certain circumstances where opting out might make financial sense. These are really limited. It'll be for people, for example, who've got very, very high cost debts to pay off, where the cost of servicing those debts is more than the value of the matched off contribution that they're getting through their auto enrollment scheme. Um, but as I say, these are going to be quite limited. And so if you are like Stephen, um, thinking about opting out of your workplace scheme, then I would say think about it very, very carefully and think about the fact that you're going to essentially be taking a voluntary pay cut and missing out on that 100% bonus from the matched contribution. That's money that you won't be able to get back if you choose to not be part of the pension scheme and spend all your money today. Yeah, I always think of it like 
consider savings or, and pension contributions as, as like a bill. You just get mm. used to you're used to paying them, and exactly you don't think about you know you don't think oh I, you know whatever it is I given fifty quid to the to the gas company. You, you just say okay, I, I need to do that. That's something, and then I look at my money that's left over, and that's and that's what I sort of can think about applying it to things that I need in life and stuff. So yeah. Um, I think yeah. I think I think also, yeah I think I think you're absolutely right. And I think so. I think sometimes as well, it's the the initial reaction to saving for retirement, or indeed saving for any other purpose, can be I don't I, I don't have the money to do it. And in some cases, of course, that will be true, and that's totally fair enough. If you're if you're struggling to pay the bills or put um, put food on the table, well, then clearly saving in a pension, even with big incentives up front, isn't going to take priority. But I think so, sometimes that that initial reaction can be an emotional one that hasn't involved sitting down and writing a budget and thinking about your priorities and all the things that you want to do both now and in the future. And I think for, for lots of people just sitting down for a few hours, getting those, getting those priorities in place, getting those budgets in place, seeing where perhaps some costs can be reduced mean there actually is, is some wiggle room to, to save for their, for their future. And I think the, the other thing to think about is that if you, if you don't do this, if you don't save for, um, for retirement, then as things stand, the state pension pays just over £9,000 a year from age 66 at the moment. And that's going to increase to 67 and 68. Certainly, if you're 25 now, you should probably be expecting a state pension age of 68 upwards, possibly 70 upwards. There's no guarantee um, of the value of that state pension. So the 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 longer you put it off and the longer you wait, the, the higher the risk that you'll end up relying on something that at the moment offers a you know a decent foundation, but Frankly, most people don't want to think about living in retirement on on nine grand a year in 2020, 21 money. Um, and so if you don't want to be doing that, then even small contributions now are going to help you get to a to a better place to have a, the retirement that you want later on in life. So I think if any listener would like to ask us a question about pensions or, or even just anything generally about um, investing, send yeah. us an uh, email to podcast at ajbell.co.uk we can't talk about um individual sort of funds or stocks you, you can't sort of say uh, I, i'm thinking about buying this company should i do it i'm afraid we can't do that but we can talk about um generally how to think about um you know approaching saving and investing and sort of specific things about uh, understanding the, the rules around pensions so yeah we, we look forward to hearing from you yeah. So let's move on from pensions to shares. So Dan's been busy chatting to the experts about some of the most important names on the stock market. This week, he met up with Waverton's head of equity research, Tineke Fricky, to talk about two FTSE 100 stocks. He asks her about growth opportunities, how the companies make money and what to expect in the future. This interview is a real cracker. So I hope you enjoy what Tineke and Dan have to say. So thanks ever so much for joining us. We're going to have a chat about two UK stocks that have been incredibly important this year. One in developing a COVID vaccine, which is AstraZeneca. The other one is companies at the heart of an industry who's seen a rapid acceleration in terms of online adoption. So this is Ocado. So Tineke, I think we'll we'll start with AstraZeneca. So it's it's very much um, leading figure with COVID nineteen vaccine development. But when it announced the vaccine 
uh, trial results the other day. The share price fell on on the announcement, which I, I, I was quite surprised. I think lots of other people were. Were you, were you sort of taken aback that the market sort of had a negative reaction to this new announcement? Uh, yes. Hi. Thank you for having me. Yes. Yes. I was surprised, but but maybe maybe not for the reasons that that you think, um, because AstraZeneca absolutely is is in the limelight um, because of um, the distribution agreement um, it has with the um, you know hopefully successful um, Oxford COVID vaccine, but they've um, you know very much have stressed uh, have stressed that they're not going to make any money out of this you know so um, they are using their distribution cloud to to help um, Oxford University you know get this vaccine in front of as many health professionals as possible who can uh, deliver the vaccine so um, from a financial point of view which is clearly what how I look at this stock the vaccine has no impact whatsoever. So it then going down doesn't make any um, fundamental sense. From a sentiment point of view, you know, I, I, I can see the reason. You know, we've had three consecutive Mondays. There seems to be something special about a Monday where we've had um, COVID vaccine uh, trial results announcement. And the previous two, so this is, Pfizer and Moderna, they've all had sort of effectiveness of this vaccine of 90% plus. So then when, um, and these are, um, you know, quite a different type of vaccine, quite new technology, uh, but nevertheless, very good effectiveness. Uh, and then Astra comes out on the next Monday saying that on, on, you know, they have a range of effectiveness between 60% and 90%. So the average is about 70%. And then um, it clearly people were expecting something probably in um, the 90%. Um but again, fundamentally, it doesn't really matter. We shouldn't forget that the flu vaccine, for example, is only 60% effective. So, you know, the, the hurdle to be cleared is 50%. So the AstraZeneca Oxford vaccine has cleared that hurdle. And it could be that one accidental dose where, um, you know, some uh, participants uh, accidentally received a half dose as the first dose and then the full dose as a booster, you know, that could actually be the, the effectiveness. So, so that needs further investigation but if that 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 is turns out to be true that means you need far fewer um you know vaccine in in, in millions and billions around the world to vaccinate so that's actually could be good news but yeah so um i, I think for numerous reasons i don't think the uh, share price decline was um you know it could be explained by fundamentals money terms but i also think for the world in terms of getting us vaccinated and get moving it it, it cleared that hurdle so it's um it, it's a puzzle to me yes yeah, so, i mean you say it, it won't make any money from this vaccine i'm wondering whether that would just apply to like the first round of um you know get, getting getting as many people possible vaccinated and, and getting the world back on its feet but i was wondering if 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 it becomes something that you you take every year like the flu vaccine do you think in time that actually astrazeneca can make good money from this product i mean that's a really good question and the honest answer is is i don't know we we, we at this stage it's too early in the sense that we don't know how long this this immunity lasts 
Um, but, you know, we shouldn't forget that Astrime principle isn't a vaccine business. You know, they, they just have a very good global distribution network. Um, might they make some money, you know, one or two years from now? Uh, you know, I generally don't know, but it's not going to be meaningful in the scale of the business. You know, what, what, what the market has completely sort of ignored, that they're working hard on, on another uh, type of uh, uh, fight against COVID, so-called antibodies. Um, and this, these, these actually help, you know, once you have COVID, they help you with the treatment, but they also help you with prevention. And they, they will make money off this if this is successful, and, and they get no credit for that. So um, so it could be that Astra will make money out of COVID, but I suspect that it, it will be more about the um, antibodies that they are creating themselves rather than distributing, you know, the Oxford vaccine um, around the world. I think everyone seems to be taken aback by how quickly all these vaccines have been developed. And I was wondering if this might change the way that the industry works. Could, do, do you think that it's plausible that we could see drug development done much faster? Um, obviously, making sure that trials are done safely uh, following the usual protocols, but um, it's shown that developments can be done at a much more rapid pace. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this could well... Um, you know, be the start of a step change in 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 um, pharmaceutical vaccine, etc., in innovation because the um, the RNA technology, which is which is sort of uh, it, it, it's like a software code sending um, information to your own DNA, telling you to become immune, if you like. This is simplifying a little bit, but this is the Moderna and this is the Pfizer technology. You know, these are the first RNA vaccines that have been approved, you know, and, and, and it's a whole new technology of um, combating disease. Um, and, and, you know, if this... Um, accelerates the whole of the RNA push that could potentially be really interesting. And, and you know, companies like Astra actually have lots of co collaborations with, with different companies, including Moderna, in, in, in doing interesting things and, 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 and you know, uh, getting more effective treatment quicker uh, to people. So absolutely from the RNA point of view. And, and, you know, it also shows that if governments put a lot of money behind these things, that it can be done quicker, you know. So, so yes, I think this, 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 um, this has sort of just, just prompted quite, you know, a, a lot rosier picture for, 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 you know, patients around the world. So, it's, I mean, just AstraZeneca as a business, before um, we had the pandemic, it seems to be, uh, doing quite well. I mean, it, it, pharmaceutical companies often go through periods where everyone's worried about um, competition from generic drugs and so on, but they seem to be going through a phase where um, sales were growing again um, and they seem very upbeat. So what, what is it that you, you find most sort of exciting about this as a business? Yeah, you're absolutely, absolutely right. Um, AstraZeneca is a pure pharmaceutical business. So uh, what happened in 2011 that they had five what they call blockbuster drugs. So these are drugs that you, you know, you earn sort of one to five billion dollars a year of and and the patents run out yeah so what happens then suddenly the price collapse uh and 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 the sales collapse so um astrazeneca sales peaked in 2011 and it didn't have anything to replace it with 
you know. So, you know, but the costs stay the same because they invest the same in, in, in research and development. Maybe they, they have a slightly smaller sales force, but, you know, that means just profits collapse. Um, they dramatically improved the way they do R&D. So the way you get um, innovation from uh, the lab, if you like, to the patient. Um, and that started paying off. So in, in so sales declined from 2011 to 2018. Um, and then they, they, they went on the up. And this is because they have now um, got about 10 drugs um, that some of them are already at blockbuster status. So they're already selling a billion dollar and, and, and others are getting there. So um, they're now on the up again where they have a number of, of drugs that they can roll out um, around the world. Um, and and, and the, 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 the research and development uh, pipeline behind that um, keeps working very hard. And, and the um, you know, the really exciting thing. So sales are now growing at, say, 10% per year. Um, but because, um, you know, about 40% of those sales are in oncology. And you can imagine that, and, and you know, if, if you sell drugs and if you sell them through a GP, you know, typically that's quite an expensive proposition for pharmaceutical companies because you need a salesperson to visit every GP in the world. And there are a lot of GPs. Whereas if you sell oncology drugs, you know, the number of oncologists around the world is far less. So therefore you, you know, it's a much more profitable drug because it costs less to, to get to people. So that means that, you know, if you sell more and more cancer drugs, which is clearly fantastic as we can sort of you know, gradually get more and more cancers into more a living with cancer stage rather than you know uh, you know extending life a little bit and then 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 still being unsuccessful um, it, it, it's a lot more profitable so you get very nice sales growth and then um, even better profit growth um, and even better cash growth because because your you know your fixed costs don't actually change that much so it's 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 you know very exciting news on sales but but even more exciting on the cash flow um and and it's just so you know i'm obviously a uk equity specialist and it's just so rare to have a uk company astrazeneca you know amongst the fastest growing large pharma companies around the world um so it's it's you know we're very positive about astra and we see a nice growth runway um you know for the next you know foreseeable three to five years um and that's completely independent of of whatever happens with the the coronavirus vaccine okay so if we if we move on to ocado um i think this year everyone's been stuck at home for such a long time uh everyone's sort of been trying to do uh as much ordering of their sort of food and drink they can online and it's just sort of shown that grocers really need to have very good online systems so naturally one would have thought that would play to the strengths of Ocado where it's supplying technology and, and sort of generating license deals um, but I was just wondering you know there's a clear market driver there um, but we are you know I think the year is about to end but I don't really recall seeing any new deals with Ocado for quite a while um, do you think that they're, they're bubbling in the background or actually people might be very disappointed because uh, they clearly if they, if they would have re- happened, they would have happened by now sort of thing? Well, they, uh, they you know, they will be clearly bubbling in the background. Um, but, um, you know, it, it, I think we also need to remember that Arcado probably has 
you know, more than it can possibly deal with right now. So, yes, you know, new deals will be great. Um, but what um, the coronavirus has done is that within the markets they're in already, it's, it's doubled or more than doubled the demand for online grocery. You know, the UK was already quite well advanced, you know, before COVID, you know, of all the grocery shops, maybe around sort of five and a half percent was done online. Um, and then we're now at 11 percent. You know, so so the the market has doubled in the UK, and it's a similar um, uh, experience in countries around the world. You know, so it that means that the existing customers that Ocado have, and 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 you know they have um, seven partners outside the UK. You know, their demand has also doubled. You know, so there's there's a a, a very very strong runway, and the 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 latest. Uh, sign up was um, a, a large supermarket chain in Japan called Aeon, um, and and that that's not going to start um, you know making a meaningful impact on Ocado you know probably 2022, and 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 I think the market really underestimates how how big Japan could become for um, Ocado because still so far people have said oh it, it's, it mainly depends on Kroger in the US because clearly the US is a huge market and it is true Kroger is very very important and and you know they are announcing new locations for sites you know every couple of months or so I think the latest they keep they keep it a bit secret so the latest we know is somewhere in the south <laughs> which is quite a big place, I think, in the US. Um, but, you know, so we will we will get more detail. But it's interesting that Kroger also is now, uh, because they see this, 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 this big demand, they are now also paying Ocado to optimize the in-store shopping, you know, because the Ocado system is that you build a big box, if you like, a big warehouse, and you completely automate um, the, the the whole e-grocery uh, picking and delivery, and that takes time. So Kroger also wants to, you know, deliver now, um, and Ocado has solutions for that. They, they they have systems where at least the in-store picking can be as efficient as possible. Because let, let's not forget that it's still very it's it's very expensive to have people going around the supermarket picking stuff. So it's it, it really is a temporary solution until you can deal with that in a far more efficient way. So how, how, do you know how it works with Ocado in terms of um once it wins sort of a partnership agreement, is it is it does it have to pay um for the setup costs of these performance centers? Um and then it sort of sits back and collects a sort of a license fee once they're operational or or is the or you know trying to get a sense of how much money they need to spend in order to make money down the line yeah well they 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 um pay for the technology part if you like so this is partly hardware so it's sort of little robots but it's also software uh, which tend to be written specifically for the supermarket customer um and it's the interface uh, uh, and, and it's your, you know, your app on your mobile. So it's, 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 it's the whole solution. So that, that is what Ocado, uh, pays. Um, and that tends to be spread out over a period, probably of about two years. Um, what the supermarkets pay is the construction of the shed, you know, the, 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 the walls, if you like, and, and maybe the parking around it and, and, uh, the, you know, so, so the whole, 
the warehouse gets built by the customer and then Ocado kits it out. So you're absolutely right. For every warehouse that needs to be built, um, it probably costs Ocado somewhere around sort of 20 to 30 million pounds over two years. Um, and then once that, that warehouse is up and running, uh, they get a share of, and it depends a bit contract by contract, but roughly, um, you know, they get a percentage of, of, um, you know, the sales that are done from that warehouse. And that is, as you say, that that's a, a bit like an annuity. So, um, you know, that, that, that's a cash flow stream that they, you know, could earn for 20 years or longer. Okay. So I, 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 yeah, I noticed so, it, it raised quite a bit of money fairly recently. Um, and it's been doing sort of some small acquisitions as well. So, I was reading some broker comments saying it could potentially um, do robotic meal preparation, ready-to-eat meals. So it's, it's not simply just running a warehouse here. So I think is there sort of scope for, for the business to sort of extend its arms into new areas and, and really become, um, you know, revolutionize the entire sort of supply chain? Yeah, absolutely. So, so Ocado, um is is it's it's not a supermarket. It's it's a technology company where it's learned all all its know how and its proprietary systems been built, you know, based on the grocery experience. Um, they've invested a lot in their own R and D, but you're absolutely right. They also started to invest in um, kind of disruptors and other companies. And and the example you refer to is is an investment they made in a company that. Um, originally was based on on putting together sort of I think it's a sushi box you know but you can imagine so it's all robotics but you can imagine you can you know maybe you can order um customized salad box you know where you say I want two tomatoes I want one scoop of corn you know you can you can customize your 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 order box and doesn't have to be cold, you know. Can 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 that go into dark kitchens and can they start competing with with restaurants, for example? So that's that that's sort of adjacent because you can see, okay, so you get your milk and your bread, and maybe you get your ready meal or your ready salad as well. Um, another area they've invested in is something called vertical farming. So this is this is where um, you know it's what it said. So you you've, you've it's it's like shelving where you can grow herbs and salads at the moment, but they're also working on you know tomatoes and 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 peppers, for example. You know, so you can imagine, and they have this in the US already, that they they, they farm these tomatoes um, more or less next to the supermarket, so you can sell tomatoes that have been picked in the last hour and 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 clearly from an um, environmental point of view whilst those kind of farms do use a lot of light because it's sort of on there a continuous sort of a purpley light you know but they use no land and far less water than what it is if you you you, you grow it in the ground so this is all adjacent but you know uh, we can see Ocado I mean their applications the, the, the applications for robotics and automation, you know, could go far beyond. So it can be closest to groceries, like, you know, your your fresh basil comes, is freshly picked, you know, but they're also, you know, got uh, patent and ambitions that, that link to baggage handling or, or, you know, even airport packing. <laughs> you know, automation is such a wide concept and, and these are 
sort of systems and network solutions that 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 yeah the, the the potential end markets you know I'm sure that if we have this podcast in ten years from now there'll be all sorts of interesting things that they've moved into um, that we hadn't even thought about. Well, Tinika, thank you ever so much. I mean these these are two really exciting companies and i think when people sort of say that uk stocks are a bit boring these days compared to other ones um you know potentially ones in the in the us i think they'd be wrong i mean there's, there's so much going on with both of them so thank you very much it's great to have you on the show thank you very much it's a pleasure that's everything from us this week we've got one more show to record this year oh my word one more show this this of course is going to be my final show i believe dan is that right yeah, we haven't asked you to the Christmas show, I'm afraid. No, Tom. no, I'm, 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 I'm obviously, I'm, I'm obviously extremely offended. If you could, um, if you could send your complaints about the fact I'm not going to be on the final show to Dan at Coatsworth, then that he would very much appreciate those, and he'll read them all out on the show. Um, we'll be taking uh, a short break over Christmas where I'm hoping to get some new slippers and a pipe. I think that's about right for my current vintage. Uh, Make sure you don't miss next week's show. And until then, please do tell all your friends and family about the podcast and leave a review, preferably a good review, a five-star review on your preferred podcast platform. Thanks, as always, for listening and goodbye and have a great Christmas. Thanks very much. See you later. Before you go, please remember this podcast is for educational purposes. And the views expressed don't necessarily reflect those of AJ Bell or Shares Magazine. The podcast isn't telling you whether certain investments are suitable or not. And don't forget that the value of investments can change and you can lose money as well as make it. It's also important to remember that tax rules apply and that the way an investment performed in the past may not be the same as how it behaves in the future. If you want help, go see a qualified financial advisor. Thank you.